Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. We're here with a friend and trusted producer and great cup halftime show superstar, Max Kerman. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado and great cup party time superstar, Shane Cunningham. <laughs> Guys, how is it going? Good to see you. It's been a couple days. Uh, we had a lovely, wonderful uh, celebration of uh, the Grey Cup for American listeners. That is like, like our Canadian Super Bowl. It's the biggest sort of game that happens uh, in this country. And of course, our Kells uh, performed at halftime uh, with Lumineers and K-Flay. Guys, what's going on? We got to be careful here, though, Mike. I'm, I'm not sure if you remember Greg Veerman criticizing the podcast. Oh, what did, what did he say? I he heard says, rumblings. All we do is kiss each other's ass now. The pod sucks, basically. <laughs> the, the episode, we, the episode where we were praising Mike, we went way too far. It was too. It was bullshit. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, the Ron Kells bit was terrible. He had to turn it off. Oh, Greg, Greg. I, I heard that conversation taking place. You guys were having that. I was talking to our friend Jimmy who was driving us over to the after party. We were meeting up with our Kells. And I could hear, it's one of those things where I was talking to my friend Jimmy and shouts to Jimmy. He listens to the pod. And you and Greg are in the back having this conversation. And 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 snippets of the convo are wafting up to my left ear because I'm in the, the passenger seat. But I'm like, I don't really want to engage because my brother is on one. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like... And Shane can handle it, and I don't want to get into it. And mostly, I just find it entertaining. But I did not. I just heard the, the little bits of of Greg's sort of general uh, cantankerous nature coming well, through about the pod. He was all night. He was riding that middle line where he's either going to be really agreeable and happy, or he's going to go to the dark side and be a little bit crueler with things. <laughs> and what happened is, I. Th- think he got a wedding quote he like greg's getting married and it's a big exciting time but Indeed. i think he got a quote back from the wedding and it was a little <laughs> bit higher than he expected so he was asking us how much we paid for our weddings and he was quite surprised at how low we paid for our weddings and then that oh, got him in a good. bad mood <laughs> and then at the after party he showed at odds he asked for a beer and they said 10 bucks and he goes, 10 bucks for a fucking beer? And the bartender was like, hey, man, I don't make the prices. And he's like, God, and grabs the beer. And yeah, it was a rough night. But I just now I'm very aware of us praising everyone too much because he may mm. be right. But it was a good show, Max. <laughs> yeah, great cup was nice. Well, one thing on, on Greg's uh, uh, outlook is, listen, in, in a day and age where we have a, a raging pandemic, people don't get to see each other. There's not enough kindness in the world. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that three friends uh, uh, say kind things to one another and try to lift each other up. Listen, like we all have insecurities that can riddle, you know, your mind or fill your day. It's nice to hear nice things every once in a while. And I think Greg can use a little sunshine in his life. I don't think it's a bad thing, Shaney. Well, yeah, but it's it's really hard to take criticism about a podcast with just guys talking about what's going on in their lives. It's like, hey, like I'm not putting a lot of thought into this. I'm just hitting record. I took two minutes to get Ron Kells on the line. I don't know what he's going to do. It's like I'm not in control of Ron if he's funny or not. You either like him or you don't, but you get what you're given, and that's it. It's just like, hey, it's just three guys talking about their day, and some episodes are going to be good. Some are going to be terrible, and that's just how conversations go. Listen, also, the Ron Kells bit has been like a smashing success. Everybody that commented on it thought it was the funniest thing ever. So Greg is in the minority there. Also, you said you get what you're given, which makes me laugh because at Winona's daycare, like Winona came home one day. And she like she handed me I was like, oh, can I have like a piece of that granola bar? And she gave me the smallest piece. And I was like, yo, I thought it was going to be more like half half. And she says, you get what you get. Don't get upset. And I was like, it's good. Yo, where did you hear that? And it turns out that's what they say at daycare. You get what you get. Don't get upset. And that is oh, her wow. big saying. So it's Snappy. you. You had echoes of that with you. Get, you get well, you, you get, get what you're given is from Adam Burchill. I've always remembered it. It's a good, it's a good saying. <laughs> Do you remember the context that he was uh, told that? I think it, and I could be getting this wrong, but I don't think he listens to the pod anymore, but he, it, okay. It was <laughs> all right. in, in yeah. his um, cafeteria in high school. I believe some days he was disappointed in the food he would get. <laughs> and the the woman would say, "You get what you're given." Yeah, I think that's it. You'll get you'll get what's given, or so. or no, yeah. he was he was complaining about the size of his portion, I believe, because someone got a bigger portion, and it was just like you get what you're given. 
I like I like high school Adam Birchall complaining about the size of his portions and trying to negotiate more food at the at the cafeteria line. I probably uh, but, made all this up and it's ridiculous if he's listening, but that's the well, way I guys, remember it. Mm-hmm. We've done five minutes and we haven't even got to the man of the hour, Max. <laughs> no, great no, cop. You've been real, you've been real quiet over there. How are you feeling? Are you recovered? Are you feeling good? Are you riding that wave? What's up? Uh, well, actually, I, I had an amazing sleep last night. I kind of just woke up because it feels like the last three weeks. You know, you know when like you're leading up to something big, even if it feels like you're well rested, it, once it's done, you're like, oh, I wasn't rested at all. Like I was sort of like my adrenaline was pumping like consistently for like the last three weeks. So yesterday was the first day. We actually had a band practice yesterday because we have to work through some other stuff for the new year. And I, we were all so lazy and so tired and, re- and but relaxed too. It really felt like a lazy Sunday where everyone's just like moving at half speed and we're sort of like talking really slowly to each other. But yeah, but to Greg's point, you know, the, the pod is a propaganda tool. You know, let's let's be clear about that, right? Uh, of <laughs> like, I'm just, like, like I didn't prepare any subjects or anything. I'm just going to talk about how great the Arkells were uh, at the Grey Cup. And that that's partly the point. So Greg, you know, that's always been the case. He cut it Ron off when it got good. I'm like, did you hear Ron say swing, swing, swing was crap, crap, crap? And he's like, no, I didn't. And he kind of laughed at that. He liked that. Like you're missing the best part. You can't shut Titanic off before the boat hits the iceberg. Whoa, spoiler. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, well, uh, speaking of sort of like praising our Kells, I also don't think that we, uh, I don't think we bullshit. Like I think if, I think if your halftime show wasn't good, I think we would just say we'd find a way to talk about it where we weren't saying that it was it was incredible, but it was incredible. Yeah. Like, and by the way, when I was when I was uh, praising you last episode about your directing skills, I don't think I normally do that. I think we talk to each other affectionately as friends, but like that was a moment where I was like, "Oh, Mike, I don't get to see Daddy do his job," and I look, I got to see Daddy in in a, in a different light. You know, no, uh, it was last it was, week. You know, and you call cool. Mike Daddy. I, this is the first well, I've heard it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do not genuinely. Yeah, but. no, this is a, it's a weird thing, but I will take it. <laughs> son, son, I'm very proud of you. It was a great performance at halftime. Um, Shane's offended. Like, what am I? Well, daddy's just too sexual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where, where would Shane fit in this? Maybe, maybe me and Shane are your parents. Maybe we're like co-parents. Mm. Yeah. He's yeah, also like a daddy. That. I'll take it. Or is yeah, he yeah, like yeah, a brother? I could be yeah. a mommy. <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah uh so uh but the performance uh, yeah like i said like i felt like because people know like uh, uh, obviously of our affili- affiliation or friendship that we do this pod my phone was blowing up from people talking mm. about how great it was like wanting me to somehow get that message to you and that's like that that's that's a very sort of like that's not just like friends pumping up friends i think that this show was objectively amazing um, yeah, well, you know what, like it felt good, you know, when you play to such a wide audience, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people that are like Blue Bombers fans who are just going to go, oh, they said go Ticats, those guys suck. Like, you know, you're going to get a bit of that for sure if you, if you go looking for it. Yeah, but overall, the um, the feedback's been really, really positive. And, and you know, talking to you, Mike, at the bar, you said Danica texted you on the yeah. side. Yeah, praising the and Dan Danica is is a real critic. You know she you know she likes what she likes and and she's not going to send you a glowing text for no reason. You know if, if, she, if she said it was shit, you wouldn't tell me about it, and that'd nope. be fine. That's the way it should be. <laughs> um, but uh, so hearing that kind of stuff from 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 people, yeah, actually, Birchall, um the nut showed me a text from Steph, and um, and Steph was very complimentary too. And then those are private conversations. That's that's not just like congratulatory tweets or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Alex didn't um, see the halftime show. She had a bad internet connection, or else she would have <laughs> messaged. She was at her brother's. It's online her, now. Yeah, her brother doesn't have cable. I'll send it to her if you can link me up. I guess we could Google it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I do. Um, I was thinking it'd be kind of fun in Mike on much uh, form to pull back the curtain a little bit to uh, talk about kind of what into what went into the to the show itself, and you know, we, we got the call maybe a month ago that we were doing it and it's just really amazing how like you really have to it's like building a house or something where it's like okay what's the foundation the foundation is the set list okay what are we going to be playing we have 14 to 15 minutes uh to do kind of whatever we want like we're not told by anybody what songs we have to play what we have to do we, we are building the show entirely on our own 
So, you know, devising the set list, that's, that's a, an exercise, you know, between the band that everybody sort of, oh, what about this song? What about this song? Are we missing something here? Um, you know, figuring out how to make these medley versions. I, Shane, did you catch that they were like much shorter versions of the songs or did you even realize that? I'm oblivious to almost everything when it comes to music and what goes into a performance. I know you guys are the best, but it's hard for me to fully... Re- <laughs> it's it's almost like you with the shoot, Max. You know how sometimes mm. you're like, oh, I just show up and a shoot just magically will happen. But then once you pull it back and actually see all the work that goes into it, it's like, holy shit, a 30 second commercial... It's impossible to pull off. And I am yeah. I have that kind of ignorance when it comes to a live show. Uh, Mike, did you realize that uh, the song, like how the songs were cut up and arranged? Did you, oh, did you, yeah. did you catch the, the transitions? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like once you came out with uh, like years and you sort of did like a bit of like a, a Bruno Mars hooligans sort of you had like this uniform dance. And I saw Mike D at the after party and I was I was praising because you guys put him right up front and he was committed to the moves. But the minute you guys it was his snapped, idea, it was, it was Mike's idea. Really? He wanted. Oh. Yeah. Mike was like, let's do a marching band thing. Maybe we get a marching band. But the thing is, is like, I don't know how many cool marching bands there are, like in the greater Hamilton area. Like maybe there are, but I, none come to mind immediately. Right. Um, and if there are any listeners out there, you let me know for next time. But um, I think in America, there's so many awesome marching bands. It's so much part of the culture down, down there. Mm. When you go to like a high school football game, college football game. They made a movie like, like called Drumline. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's such a huge part of that culture. I don't know if it exists in Canada. So we're like, how about we just be the marching band? And we we have the horns and and the arquettes with us and we can just do it. And it'll fill the, the TV frame just fine. And and saying that, that was Mike's idea. So shout out to Mike. Sorry, okay, yeah. I catch you off. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, but the, the moves are great. But when you snapped out of that song and then sort of like when it transits, you start transitioning, you start realizing you're doing like a medley, the way that they do that at like a Super Bowl or whatever. And then the sort of the interesting part is how do they arrange it? What songs do they pick? How are they going to transition to the Lumineers? Because you know that's coming at some point. And each each element to me as it was unfolding uh, was like awesome to watch. And like uh, such a unique perspective because it's like we were at the 50-yard line. I- I'm watching like a live show, but it's almost – it's made for broadcast. It's made for TV, so you're playing to the cameras. It was very, 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 very cool to see and still awesome in stadium, I think, which is sometimes hard to pull off because you're doing it for, the, you know, the million people at home watching. But the – you know, the whatever, however many – 40,000 people in the stadium. I don't know how many people fit in that stadium, but like they're also getting a very cool, cool, cool show. But yeah, so I started to realize – after that, when you cut that song, how like I was like, oh, how are they building it? And they're clearly doing like a medley of of their tunes as they transition through. How long did it take you guys to sort of build out exactly what that was? And did any songs get cut as you were going through going, ah, that doesn't fit or we have to find space mm. or did it all did the puzzle fit together easily? We we'd contemplate. OK, before the Lumineers signed on, we'd contemplated um, doing like an acoustic version of 1111 maybe in the set with quitting you during during the acoustic section we always knew we wanted an acoustic section in the middle um but it felt pretty natural that we'd go with years our set list was years leather jacket uh you can get it quitting you and knocking at the door um that always felt like okay. These seem to be like some of our most popular songs. It adds to the energy of the set list. But yeah, but Mike, to your point, you know, we we were um, making the show mostly for broadcast. We knew like with all the fireworks and the way we project out to the crowd that like the people in the stands would enjoy it. But we want to make sure that the TV audience was really enraptured because if they're not, then they're just going to switch the channel. And and I always tell like younger acts like if if anybody has any wants any advice from me about like how to be a live performer my and this is not just for the great cup i'm talking in general get your transitions down if you are confident going from one song to the next and you know what your banter is going to be or you know who's going to start the next song and there's no dead space that makes you go from like a semi-professional to a professional that do you know what i'm talking about mike or shane like if you go to the casbah it's such a subconscious thing, but it's like if a band knows exactly what they're doing at the end of one song, you immediately are, like are thirty percent more uh, impressive as a as a musician. Yeah, you hate the pause between songs. You never want that to happen it. in a show. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like it's just yeah, it's lull. There's a lull. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it, like I like a dramatic pause, and I like if if the whole band quiets down and I can say something that's meaningful. Of course. 
But if, if you don't have anything good to say, like, let's keep it going. And on TV, that's even more exaggerated because every second, you know, it's like if you're watching a TV show and then it goes to black for some reason before a commercial break and it's like one and a half seconds, you're like, what's wrong with my TV, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so you just like can't do that. So, um, but to that point, Mike, like there was sleight of hand magician tricks to allow the band to move from one space to another. So in that opening spot, we always knew that the band would break off during the pre-chorus and it would just stick on me. It's years in the making. I do it over again. It's been years in the making. So <clears throat> so we basically knew we had, the band had like 11 seconds to sprint up the stairs, ditch the marching band drums and get to the spot because that intro of the chorus with the big drum fill, Tim needs to be at the kit because that's where it's getting cut to. And then when it's cut to the band, that allows me to sprint up to the stage and then kind of hop across. So there's a lot of little moments like that that allowed people to get into position because there is a diversion something somewhere else happening on the screen. The same thing happened at the end of Leather Jacket, where basically, <laughs> yeah, by the way, I had to, at the end of Leather Jacket, the line is, who the fuck uses a payphone? Obviously, I couldn't say, who the fuck uses a payphone? I was, was going to say, who uses a payphone? But then I, and then I was like, maybe... It's 2021. Who uses a payphone? And then because, you know, the the, the reference itself feels outdated because uh, that line was written in 2013 when some people used a payphone. Now, absolutely nobody uses a payphone. <laughs> um, and maybe, the, Shane, maybe this is an example of me. Uh, I should have called Mike or Shane uh, about this line. But it's, in the afternoon, I was like, hit me on my two-way. I was like, that's kind of funny because uh, two-way pages, that's even more outdated than than a payphone but yeah, based on your less based on your expression mike colloquially as a term yeah ma- our phones were available <laughs> maybe you should have called us <laughs> you didn't you said the two-way line i did oh jeez. <laughs> that's not good <laughs> not to be greg beerman <laughs> <laughs> well, I went with it. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Ash, Ash is usually pretty delighted with things I kind of come up with on the spot and stuff, but I didn't really get a good reaction from that. Either. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, anyway, but hey, but is, the rest of the show you, was spe- stellar, right? No one's yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, that yeah, line. Yeah. Um, Did anything but, go um, off script that you the people were pissed? Like, oh, Max shouldn't be doing this, and you're kind of like caught in the moment and. Not doing what you're supposed no, to. No, I think everybody was was pretty was pretty pleased. Like it kind of went according to plan. But um, we went to um, but again that moment as soon as I said that line, I'm sprinting off the stage. The camera cuts into Mike who's finishing the song, finishing leather jacket. I'm ditching my I'm giving my electric guitar to our production manager Eric. Uh, the microphone, grab an acoustic, strap it over my shoulder, and within about if you like actually time it, there's like literally like four and a half seconds to go down a flight of stairs and then run to that B stage where the Lumineers are waiting. Um, So a lot of that stuff was actually super stressful because if I tripped or if something went wrong or my ears fell out or something like that, my my in-ear monitors, um, you're missing the top of the song. Like those reveals are all getting messed up. So I'd say, you know, but rewinding for a second, we rehearsed the show we we rented ryerson university's gym i guess you don't call it ryerson university that university in downtown toronto we rented the gym and we basically taped off the floor and we constructed like what the whole environment was going to be like minus the steps so we we practiced like okay we're practicing running up the stairs that aren't actually there but they're taped off to show like the dimension of the stairs okay and everybody has to and so it was all life-size stuff so by the time we got to um the venue on Friday to start running the show, our band was like super locked in. I want to give so much credit to the Arquettes and the North Solar Horns for being so well rehearsed because we ran the entire show like a hundred times like the week of. So we were feeling super confident. So anyway, we get to the thing and we're meeting the production crew. We're meeting the camera people and we're running the show. And there's like a lot of camera people on the stage kind of like getting in the way. I'm like, oh, this is this is gonna be like a, a factor I didn't really think about, and then we run the show. We're feeling pretty good about it. Um, we we get the footage on Friday night, and it was truly horrendous. Like watching, like all, basically all that sleight of hand stuff I'm talking about 
wasn't working, like the director in the truck or the assistant director wasn't making the cuts happening when they needed to. And I'm just going, this is a fucking nightmare. We have worked so fucking hard to make this show fucking amazing. And and you guys are fucking us. And like, and yeah. honestly, and like it's like we wow. I was just like, I I was irate about it. Um and I and I couldn't really sleep either. I was just like so upset. And I was like, I'm gonna send an email. And by the way, like I know the director. He's an awesome guy, super talented, super acclaimed. And but he'll never work in this city up. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So and, and so we've hired um, in frame design uh, Alex and Marie. Huge shout out to them. They they're they're a couple and they helped uh, produce the event with us. So they they really helped shape a lot of what we were doing up there between the lighting and the framing and all that stuff. And they were also mad about it. And they're like, okay, don't worry about it, Max. It's our job. It's the point of the Friday is to do a run through. So it's obviously not going to be like immaculate like the first time through, but we'll relay the notes. And I was like, I think it's important that I write an email too, to, from the band to reinforce what you're saying. I was like, and they're like, okay, yeah, you can do that. I was like, I'll sleep on it. I'm going to write one tomorrow morning on Saturday morning. So uh, do you want me to read you guys the email? Oh, I of do. Of course. Hey, Dave. Um, morning. Great first day. I'm glad we had a chance to get our bearings. I'm sure you're hearing from Alex and Marie about all these notes, but I want to reinforce their ideas as it's super, that's in capital letters, Whoa. important that your camera folks are locked in by the end of today because we're running the show again on Saturday night. We will run the show as many times as your crew needs to get it to a 10 out of 10. Right now, it's not close. Um, you usually don't get that stern. Ouch. The main note is this. With the exception of obvious musical moments, entrances, and pyro, we really need to stick to that medium-wide shot that basically looks like the reference below. The reference below is an iPhone from the gym at Ryerson University. I was like, this is all I want. Just a fucking <laughs> iPhone. Like, honestly, it's like it's just framed well. Um, I was like, we've worked so hard on the collective movement of the 12-piece band that we need to stick to the medium shot to capture the group energy. We're not some boring act where you need to rely on swoops and close-ups. Also, I'm not good looking enough for a tight close-ups anyway. Sit on the medium shots. A little humor. (laughs) Uh, Sit on the medium shots for years in the making from 115. You can get it, minus the piano, intro, and K-Flay reveal, and knocking on the door. If I see that jib swooping around like a bird, I'm going to be pissed. See you today. We will nail this. And then there's like, can you tell I didn't sleep uh, thinking about all this? Thank you, Max. So anyway, Dave What's the response being, like? Yeah. Dave, he's a fucking pro. He's used to petulant artists getting pissed off about stuff, clearly. Dude has been doing it for a long time. Hey, Max, thanks for this. Totally helpful to getting us to where we need to be. The floating jib in the front is, uh, is getting some great group choreography and action. Yes, agreed. There are too many flyaways and wides. I'll go through the notes today with our AD and keep tweaking. We will likely scale down on cameras a bit too, as we always start with a bunch and then determine what we really need. We'll get there. Thanks again for the references and feedback. See you at the field. So like such a pro. Like what, Like there was not one condescending response back to me, which I was like, Dave, that's what makes you great. That, that's what makes you an awesome... Have you have you guys as producers been in that position where you're getting petulant notes from the client or the artist and you just have to take the high road? No. Well, they strategically don't let us talk directly to client because they know yeah. how defensive a producer is going to be. <laughs> so that was great email back because he wasn't defensive one iota. And it's very easy Not- to be polite and defensive at the same time. And he just didn't even yeah, take there, that. There wasn't route. one yeah. there wasn't one clapback. So anyway, so I was like I was in, I was encouraged that um that Dave was was being nice and he and you know there's confidence within our production team on our side that we're going to get done. So Saturday rolls around. Lumineers are are, are are have landed late Friday night. K-Flay's landed late Friday night. Saturday's the day. Saturday's like, you know, we're going to run it 10 times under the lights with the pyro with everything to make this amazing. The, we wake up in the morning you know, there was scheduled rain on Saturday. It's not raining. It's like balmy. It's like nine, it's 10 a.m. It's like, if you recall. Great like day. 15, started awesome. 15 yeah. degrees. It's I'm like, oh, this is great. Okay, we're going to run it a bunch of times. Awesome. I'm feeling. <laughs> we, we get a call around 2 o'clock. There's no rehearsals tonight, guys. There's so much wind uh, in Hamilton. And there's like tornadoes and stuff happening like in North America that like it's dangerous to be up on that stage. Like there's like equipment being knocked over. Cameras are being ruined it's like we don't want anybody near the stage because it, it is a hazard. Like we just can't do it. Yeah, it was so insane like, that night. It was insane. So I'm like, what the fuck are we gonna do? Like, 
when are we like p- part of this email. is getting the camp <laughs> Pull, pulls out the laptop immediately <laughs> he, he emails he emails mother nature the weather <laughs> right now it's a four out of ten <laughs> um, mother nature so um Flay comes to the dressing room in the venue and starts running her choreography with natasha maya and giselle but Kayfley is locked in. Kayfley, um, and we've had her on the pod. I think our listeners know about her. She's such um, a hardworking person and a team player too. Like she really wants – she was like, whatever I can do to help, I'm I'm here. I know this is your show. Let me know what I can do. So we told her, okay, there's a few moments of choreography that we had in mind. I want to give a huge shout-out to Omega Mighty, who is the sister of Havaya Mighty, who we've had on the show, who is our choreographer. So I want to say like when we were working at Ryerson, she was with us the whole time – and again, this isn't like, you know, a Backstreet Boys dance routine, but there is a lot of collective movement happening that needs professional eyes on it to make it feel cohesive. And so she was running the choreography with K-Flay. It was looking good. That was feeling good. Uh, Wes and Jeremiah from Lumineers, they came. We had a chance to like run the song acoustically, just like backstage in our dressing room together. They were super like, you know, they're international superstars. You know, they play arenas, headline festivals all around the world. They could not have been more easygoing about it. They got it. They're like, oh, you know, we can't go outside. All good. Let's run the song backstage. So it was a real thrill, actually. One of my favorite moments of the weekend was just being able to play Ophelia with the Lumineers backstage in our dressing room and then also to hear Wes sing Quitting You. And, you know, Quitting You uh, is a song really inspired by the Lumineers. Like hearing how simple and timeless and heartfelt their music is, I was like, oh, I kind of want to do that. And that was sort of the impetus for for writing and recording, quitting you in that way. Shade, were you going to say something? I always ask if you get nervous before a show, and typically you say no. But in this case, I feel like you may have been nervous. Not that you acted nervous I, on stage, <clears throat> but I'm I'm wondering. No, no, no. You? I was I was very stressed. You know, normally I'm not, I'm a pretty good sleeper, but Friday had a shit sleep. Saturday had a shit sleep. I was like, yeah, it was very nerve wracking. So rehearsals got and got bumped to Sunday morning, but. And so we got there Sunday morning. We run the show with the Lumineers, with K-Flay. It's feeling good. But again, it's in the daylight. We're not running the pyro at all. It's it's hard to say exactly, like, is this going to feel good in the moment? Also, we've had 300 Arkells fans sign up to be behind us. And that is such an integral part of, like, what the shots are going to look like with that energy. And we don't know what that's going to look like either because they're not there yet. So uh, we run the show. We're feeling okay. We go uh, go back to the hotel, have a nap, uh, and it was a very um, sort of surreal experience because it's like you're kind of waiting all day long to do it, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, okay, we're going to the field. It's the second quarter, and we were kind of standing outside, like outside the vans that took us there. So I ran into Dan Cantor, who uh, who's a musical director for Justin Bieber, Alessia Carr. He was there working with some other acts, um, and uh, I asked him how it's been going for him on his end. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, it's been going good. And he kind of just smiled. And I was like, okay, awesome. I got to go do the show. So I went to the bathroom, left. Anyway, it turns out that there was a bunch of audio issues in the entire arena happening uh, for just about everybody working on the show. And if I had known that going onto the stage, I like, and knowing that I might not be able to hear myself, which is like integral to the performance, I would have been so stressed out. I'd be like, fuck, nothing is working. The wind, everything's brutal. Uh, so, anyway, huge shout out to um, Dan and manager Ash for withholding all that information from me because that would have just had me stressed the entire time. Ash was withholding information with me from me the whole weekend That's that she'd only best. tell me like after the storm had passed for whatever the thing was. And I was like, thank you for not telling me that. Like, yeah, withholding information if you're a manager out there is probably your most like powerful tool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, we watched the, the, so we finally get a chance to watch the thing back, which is the whole, most of the reason why we did it. And Dave Russell and his team fucking killed it. Honestly, we like, there was, Maybe like, and I'm, this is super, super nitpicky and something that most people wouldn't even notice. There's maybe like one moment where I'm like, ah, they could have got here a little sooner. But otherwise, it was immaculate. And that that says a lot because they are cutting in real time. This isn't like a, 
a TV show where you get to tweak with the edits and, you know, you have a million times to get it just, just right. So um, I sent Dave a very complimentary email last night. Uh, being like, Dave, you're the fucking man. Thanks so much. Like, uh, thanks for putting up with me. And uh, he got back this morning about an hour ago. He's like, yeah, he's very, everybody's pumped. So, um, yeah, so I know I just talked for a long time, but uh, Shane, any questions, any concerns, any thoughts? Were the fireworks ever in jeopardy? Oh, good question. Uh, I mean, it felt like the winds were were died down enough, had died down enough um, to, to make it okay. But that's another thing. I didn't know what the fireworks looked like. So there were some fireworks in front of the stage that was like kind of smoking onto us, which was fine, which we, which we were aware was going to happen. But... I look back at the video. I'm like, holy shit. This is like the 4th of July. This is insane. This is crazy. Like, I, I had no idea that they were going to be blowing up that much stuff. It was very cool. What, what would you do if the fire, besides sending an angry email, what would you do if the fireworks didn't go off in the show? They were like, it's too windy. Oh, um, you know what? I had no expectations for the fireworks, to be honest, because oh, okay. I never saw them to begin with. And um, yeah. And also, it happens in part of the set. Like, obviously, everybody loves fireworks, but it happens in a part of the set where I'm like, we've gone through everything. The cuts look really good. The crowd behind us looks amazing. The lighting looks awesome. The whole band is executing. I would have been like, it doesn't matter. We don't even need fucking fireworks. That's how good we are. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, and then afterward, it was just like jubilation. Like, everyone's hugging. You know, um, you know when you, if you ever go to like a theater production and everybody's like super emotional, we're like, we want to thank... The costume designer. Oh my god! And they're clapping. We need to thank our choreographer, and everyone's like tearing up on stage. Like, yeah. We need to thank the director. Oh my, bring him on stage! Oh my god! <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. Honestly, that, I, I, I was like going up to every single person, like 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 teary eyed and stuff, and it was just like you, 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 you. <laughs> it was great. Um, was it the greatest but, moment of your life as an Arkell? Mm, it was. Probably the most like singular moment um, at, up to this point because we've had, you know, you know, we've we've played big shows. I can't quite remember the feeling after we played like Cops Coliseum or something like that, which would have been like our biggest headlining show at the time, which felt like a huge deal. It is a big deal. Um, but because we've played bigger shows since, you know, they in my mind they kind of blend together, and it's like a crazy feeling, and it's a two-hour experience. But to have like that much energy into a 15 minute thing that is being seen by over 2 million people across the country. Um, that is, yeah, that really sticks out as like a, Oh my God, we pulled it off because there's like, you know, you can screw up as much as you want during a concert and it doesn't really matter. It's almost like part of the charm, but you know, if you screw up in some way on a televised thing that lives forever, you kind of feel like an idiot. So, um, yeah, I felt, yeah, the, the jubilation was, was, was totally real. I think one of the cool things is uh, it's like sort of like um, it's nice to see when 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 good process like works out. You know what I mean? Because like an easy thing for a lot of acts, big acts to do is to show up and play the hits and to keep it moving. You know what I mean? It's like you're there because the songs have done their work over these last few years and you guys have this massive fan base. And it's like you easily could have shown up, but it's like to put in the amount of work. And still, like you said, listen to sort of the the journey you just brought us on. There's no guarantees that it still works out, but it's awesome to see when a plan comes together. And, and you know, like that happens in sort of anything that you put a lot of work into. You say, yeah, it's 15 minutes. Um, but if you do it right, which you guys did, um, it, it lives forever. And it makes such a, an amazing sort of impression. And also like very cool, like you said, 2 million people across the country see that. There's people that are maybe CFL fans that don't listen to Arkells that might might now come out to uh, you know your shows as you guys are hitting the road uh, in the new year. Absolutely, yeah. Good, good plug, thank yeah, you. It's, it's um, propaganda. Uh, tale, yeah, right? but anyway, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it was fun. And uh, you know, again, um, in, in our classic move, uh, Shane, I saw you from across the bar at Odds where we oh, were I didn't all see partying you. afterward. Yeah, I saw you, and I was like, I'll just talk to him on on Tuesday. What's the classic move for me not to talk to you, or you not to talk to me? No, it's just that we don't talk to each other at oh, these yeah. kind of parties. There's too many people there. Well, I yeah. I feel like there's so much glad handing that you have to deal with. Me would just be yeah. annoying and take away from someone else getting to talk to you. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, we, we have our own uh, private time, but, but um, a lot of people did think I'm an Arkell at that party. I found it hilarious. <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh my god! I got treated like so well at that after party, which was weird to me because it was a private after party. So in my mind, everyone's gonna know every band member, 
but I think a lot of people think I'm Nick. Yeah, the mustache, <laughs> maybe. I think it's the mustache, probably. But people were, like, coming up and, like, that was amazing. Like, that was – I know you guys are good live, but that was next level. And I just start laughing. And then they're like, oh, that's not you. And, like, you know, I was I was getting a ton of attention. It made me feel like, oh, I understand what it's got to be like to be in this band. It's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's been very nice. But who um, were those people? How did they get in? I, I don't know. There, there's there's okay. some extra invites being thrown around, I guess. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's, so that's our Grey Cup experience. And um, Did you I, – I was going to ask, so you guys do this show. You're on this big high. You said you have this big sort of theater uh, kid experience where you're thanking everybody. You pulled this sort of immaculate thing off. Do you hang around for the game? Where do you watch the game? Is there a box? Do you, is there a dressing room? Mm. Or do you, guys, do you guys beat the crowd out and sort of just – watch it at a different spot maybe you go back to odds where i know they were showing the game like what's no, that like we, what's your we had some commitment like? so i had to do a hit um with tsn in the booth uh in the third quarter or the top of the fourth i want to say and i was feeling pretty good because the tie were up at that point so i was like oh this is amazing everything's working out uh and then we had to do um a, an event like it just a pop into the, the twisted t people who sponsored the uh the, the halftime show uh, so we did, we just kind of shook some hands there and had some twisted tea. Um, and, uh, yeah, other than that, we, we watched the, the final part of the game back in the dressing room because we wanted to be able to sneak out of there. Uh, cause you know, getting out of, uh, Tim Horns field was going to be a bit of a chore. Uh, yeah. So close though. Oh my God. What a game. It was, a, it was a, an amazing night. I think throughout, even though obviously the Tigers lost and that sucks. Um, it was, it was pretty, all the drama was there, which is kind of all you could hope for. Yeah, it felt like some like an all time sort of uh, gray cup, and it seemed that's what everyone was saying uh, in the aftermath too. Mm-hmm. So it was the one to play, man. It all came together. Yeah. Well, anyway, that th- thanks for uh, thanks for listening uh, to to the rundown of that show. But yeah, again, huge. I mean, there's too many fucking people to, to thank. But I but I just like for 15 minutes. I know we've been joking. It was like 1500 hours of like, okay, Caitlin, who's our stylist, who who like made all the custom shop pieces and. You know, going you know to look for a wardrobe and Omega Mighty, who did the wardrobe, like uh, choreography. It's just like a laundry list of people who all had important jobs to do, who all executed the, their thing perfectly. Yeah, shout out to them. Shout out to you guys and uh, everyone that pulled it off. Um, it was awesome, and that's a fact. And if my brother wants to be snarky about it, well, he can be. But your brother uh, was super nice to me, by the way, at the bar. I guess he got all of his snark out, and then he was uh, very. He sent me a really nice text too. He 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 was very impressed with the show. That's good. There you go. See, but, there was some, there's some kindness in that Grinch's heart. Uh, let's get to the Jeremy Strong uh, profile. Yeah, so Jeremy Strong, uh, the the finale of season three just aired. The three of us have all seen it. Uh, we have talked about Succession on this show before. Uh, of course, we love it. And the star of that show, or one of the stars, is an actor named Jeremy Strong who plays Kendall Roy. Uh, there was a big New Yorker piece that came out that was sort of uh, caused a bit of a, I don't know, some talking points and some uproar on the on Twitter. Uh, it was a feature on Jeremy Strong by Michael Shulman. Uh, it says, on Jeremy Strong, this is the headline, on Succession, Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. And then they <laughs> quote Jeremy Strong, I take him as seriously as I take my own life, he says of his character, uh, Kendall Roy. So uh, the reason that people are talking about this New Yorker piece is because it is, it's a very long form piece where obviously like Jeremy, you know, the, the, the writer spent a few days over the course of time with Jeremy Strong, sort of getting to know about his process. Jeremy Strong is very open about sort of his process. It's very actory. It's like almost method. They get into sort of in his youth, how he was obsessed with Daniel Day-Lewis and Al Pacino and had posters of them and sort of it goes into sort of the way that he he sort of navigated his career his ambitions uh, and then how committed his work it has quotes from his co-stars um, um sort of talking about his process maybe not in the most flattering way uh so everyone's like wow like this is quite a piece that everybody's sort of talking about jeremy strong in a way that is they're sort of laughing at him they're sort of judging him about taking it too seriously like hey man it's just acting even his almost his co-stars are saying that then there's sort of this turn where his friends in the industry, like uh, the actress Jessica Chastain, um, Anne Hathaway, uh, uh, director Adam McKay, um, Aaron Sorkin, they all they come to Jeremy Strong's defense. And basically, they kind of act like this this article was this sort of snarky bully job, and they, they praise his process and his results. And it's kind of been this interesting sort of like news cycle. Uh, I guess we'll start at, uh, I, I'm assuming both of you read it. Uh, what were your thoughts? Shaney, we'll start with you. 
didn't seem that bad to me. It made me like him more in a way. Do you see where the sort of the, the the snarkiness like of the internet giggling at him came from? Like, do you see that angle? Like, like I agree. Like, I kind of fa- I find his process interesting. Um, but do you see where people can kind of see that and be like, oh man, he might be. It might not be the most uh, a fun working environment to to work with somebody who has all these little hangups and hiccups they need to do in order to do their work. Maxi, what were your thoughts? Um. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love his character on the show. I think um, there's got to be something to his process, right? Because he's so effective as an actor. So whatever kind of gets you there uh, is, is okay with me. Um, but the um, the thing that it made me think about so much uh, was just this idea that, you know, anybody, any one of us, if we were having a profile written about us, could be portrayed in a particular kind of light if you take certain... Um, moments of, of a conversation and make that the highlight. So like Aaron Sorkin, for instance, he posted via Jessica Chastain's Twitter account because he doesn't have Twitter. Here are the five questions that this writer asked me. He only used these two parts of my answer. So like if you actually see the breadth of my my feelings on Jer- Jeremy Strong based on these questions, it's a lot more complex than the two lines that without context are somewhat biting or maybe sound condescending in a particular kind of way. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the nature of journalism, right? It's like, you know, journalists are and editors are uh, given a lot of responsibility to, you know, portray people in a fair and objective way. And I think people obviously are upset that uh, this writer maybe didn't do that. Shane, my question for you, though, if you were followed along by a New Yorker profile writer, what would be the most glowing version of Shane Cunningham? And what would be the least glowing <laughs> version of Shane Cunningham? Like if you were to be able, if you were to talk, so if, if the reporter was talking to John Populus, Mark Myers, Greg Veerman, Mike Veerman, Max Kerman, Ashley Potovin, and he was going along collecting quotes about you, give us a few of the of the most like sort of charming best version case of the profile and then if it was going to be if we he really wanted to do like a hit job what do you think those quotes would be <laughs> i think the nice version would just be that i'm uh, maybe some people think i'm loud and obnoxious but i'm really shy and polite so I think mm. that would be the surprising version, just how I'm nice. And I think I like that mean- because I think a lot of people. No, let me cut you off for a second because on that tip, I think you're right. Like, I think people who've seen your desserts and you asking ludicrous questions to Jason Mraz, people be like, this guy's nuts and he's fearless. But like, it's like, oh, actually, um, it's like Shane's actually one of the most quiet, sensitive person. The people I know, says Mark Myers, is like he cries at every single movie. He's <laughs> <Yes>. actually, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a very caring friend. <laughs> Uh, and he he actually sends me the nicest birthday notes of any of my friends on on my birthday. Like he's that kind of person. That would be the the sort of sensitive, sweet Shane Cunningham. Max, uh, is that portrait. is that birthday note thing true for you? Yeah, yeah. Shane Shane sent me a beautiful. Uh, he's a really nice birthday text uh, the other day. Uh, you said yeah. it was the and best he, message you received, Max, and I'm I think hoping you didn't send the same thing to Mike. <laughs> no, no, no. I, <laughs> I don't think I sent him a glowing text. Yeah, I, I don't think I, so either. I, no. I think I just well, said I didn't talk birthday. to him at the bar, Mike. So we're even. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of an in-person guy. Yeah, <laughs> I also feel okay. bad. Like I feel like Mike D. If he if he would be a part of the New Yorker doing a hit piece on maybe the worst sides of me, because he's he has seen me on bachelor trips being very loud and obnoxious. At the Grey Cup after show, we made eye contact, and the eye contact suggested like, "Hey, come over and adulate me a little bit," or you're probably going to. But I had to leave, so I just walked in his direction, grabbed a slice of pineapple pizza, and left. So. It mm-hmm. it made me look like a huge asshole in a way. You <laughs> you didn't even say hi to my D or say congrats. You just walked by him. I because I know if I got engaged with him, I it would be at least another half an hour, and I had an right. Uber coming. Yeah. So I didn't even have time for mild pleasantries. And sometimes shyness masquerades as rudeness or makes people think, oh, this man thinks he's better than me. Or yeah, arrogance, shyness. Can yeah, or, or, arrogance. Uh, you, I think because you're so sensitive, though. You um, and you're very funny and very quick witted. You could say you have thin skin, maybe, um, because it's like if anybody criticizes you, you come back at them hard. 
you know, that could be, you know, a negative portrayal of you. Yeah, definitely. I like to engage if somebody's teasing. I like to be part of the mix. I'm also very uh, unexpressive in my face. So a lot of my Mm. expressions are monotone and don't give off a lot. And people can misconstrue that as I'm disinterested. Which mm. I'm, I'm always interested, but I, I can seem disinterested. So that would definitely be, yeah, the worst case. And if I, if I'm overserved at a bar, I can be, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can just be too much because the my joking side gets the better of me sometimes. Mike, what about Max, you, Max? Max, no, no, I was gonna go with you because you're, you're someone who actually may have. In, you know, in the near future, an actual profile written about you in some long form piece where someone yeah, yeah. they would embed a reporter with you for three, <laughs> three days. I, I think I know how, how it would go. Um, I think the, the glowing version of me is like, oh, Max is, you know, thoughtful. He wants people to feel comfortable. He has time for everybody. You know, like I and I like to think I treat everybody kind of equally and I'm, I'm I like to think I'm a good friend. I hope, I don't know, um, to, to friends that, that need help most. Um, but I'd say the snarky version would be like, Max is just all out for himself. Everything serves the church of Max. He's a phony. Phony, he, yeah. Yeah, he's a, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's like an ass kisser. He'll do. <laughs> I'm laughing because Shane reinforced it as a joke, but then we all just kept moving as if I just, just looked like, at Mike. It. Yeah, yeah. Mo- yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I was no, kidding, man. Yeah. Like it was a no. joke. Like it was meant to be facetious, but we all just kind of accept it, and we don't want the listeners to think that we think <laughs> you're funny. No, 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 no. But the no, and uh, there, there's uh, some some criticisms around like being a narcissist probably would be in there because obviously I'm the singer of a band, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I can totally I know like what the what the sort of critics angle would be for someone like me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm 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 pretty uh pretty aware of probably what those... anything you could say about any lead singer. Sure. Yeah. 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 What about you, Mike? I think you've been avoiding this, so uh, you know. <laughs> uh, I was gonna make a joke about like the glowing one would be that I care about my friends and I work too hard, and my flaws <laughs> are that I care about my friends and I work too hard. You know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, honestly, it's probably pretty similar to Max. Like people would be like, you know, he's like. I, I like that, like he makes people feel, you know, good and welcome, and tries to put people at ease, and he has time for people, and he cares about his work, and he works hard. And then the flip side is probably all the same things Max said, like some element of like phoniness or you know, people pleasing or whatever that is. That would be my guess. I don't know. I, I, I think if you think about it too hard, you might end up having like you know some sort of like existential crisis. What, what do you guys think? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah, I like, think you and I are similar. Yeah, maybe they'd say you were a, a diva. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can be difficult. No, I can. Mm-hmm. I can. I can. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope they wouldn't talk to Danica. For I, I think your younger days, Mike, where you were because in the chaos of being young and like being in a band or just like, ah, it's all a lot of happening. You're getting stressed out and yes. and yeah, with with your bandmates or something like that would be. Uh... But now I don't think you're like that. I, th- I think Mike fatherhood mm-hmm. has really and and like an aging has really chilled you out in a good way like you have big picture perspective in a way that you probably didn't have before the best way i heard it described was from our good friend and pop culture aficionado was shane cunningham like we were we were at work like a pre-pandemic a year or two ago and something was going on with work that was like one of those things that would like you like work politics or some slight and we're like talking about it and we're like it's something that in the past would like get you really worked up and we're kind of like i don't know and shane's like honestly man he's like i have a kid he's like i have i have a kid and that is so much work you think i give a shit about this little slight right now he's like he's like it just changes it changes your perspective on things that maybe seem super important and intense and then you go, ah, I still, I got to go home and I've got to wipe an ass and I got to make sure this thing stays alive. And that's just bigger than the, 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 the petty slights. Not to say that those things don't still come up, but you don't still get fucked up about them. But I thought, oh, he just sort of described what I've been feeling. He sort of articulated exactly how I've been feeling because I'm not getting as sort of bent out of shape about a random thing on a Wednesday, you know, because you just know it's going to pass and it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what it was like when Greg was criticizing me. It's like, I've got two kids, you asshole. You think I give a shit that you didn't enjoy our little chit-chat off the top? Like, like it's a podcast, I think brother. You are still like, sens- I think you are still sensitive. Jay. Oh, I, I hate him for saying that, let's be clear. But I'm just thinking, like, it's so frivolous to be criticizing three people chatting. Oh, man. Uh, the, the night started so positively with wedding talk and wedding party talk. And then it, it, clearly Shane is, is harboring um, um, some anger about that conversation. But uh, this is all for Greg's benefit, by the way, because if he doesn't love love, he probably loves hate. And I think he probably thinks this is very funny. That <laughs> <laughs> um, Also, I want to I want to point out that your that your brother, I was talking to him probably after he he criticized the pod. Uh, later that night and because uh, his life is only five-star luxury which he never pays for so the idea <laughs> of like him paying ten dollars at a at a bar for a beer by the way which supports his his friends max and nick's uh restaurant enterprise um which is a very hard <laughs> industry i like to point out um that dude only eats for free and flies private and stays in five-star hotels he said to me <laughs> at the bar and i quote I stayed at a Westin in Memphis with Laura, his his fiance, and I was like, this is shit. If the blinds don't open upon my arrival automatically, what the fuck hotel is this? Oh he, only, he only this stays in five-star hotels, and he only flies private. And for our listeners, he works for the Toronto Raptors. So he was like, I can't deal with this other shit now. I only want to roll like this. So the idea of him... Um, you know, getting uh, bent out of shape about whatever the cost of his wedding is going to be or, you know, or a $10 beer. You know, he's he's got it pretty good. I, I And I, I will say, just because I guess it's my role to defend my brother on some level, <laughs> is this would this would be uh, infuriating <laughs> to hear somebody complain uh, living such a life of luxury. But I, I think without getting into details, if you knew about her upbringing, of it course, is such a wild course, of swing course. of fortunes for him to even yeah. be living like that, that I almost feel like it's... 50% a bit that he he knows how goddamn good he has it. <laughs> yeah. So he plays it up. He's Andy Kaufman then because he's really committed to this. This is <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Congrats again to uh, Arkells, to Manager Ash, to uh, Lumineers, K-Play, everybody involved. Dave Russell for directing the hell out of that thing and all of the sort of uh, work that was put into it, the choreography, uh, all of that stuff. Congrats to you guys. You pulled it off. It was awesome. See you next week.